Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TSC Audio Project. On this special episode of Health Conversations, I have a conversation with Tony Riddle during our recent seminar trip to the UK. This episode was recorded in our hotel room and unfortunately the fire alarm goes off a few minutes in, but we get on track pretty quick, so sorry about that. Uh, Tony is a wealth of wisdom and we cover the topics of rewilding behaviors, defining spirituality, having your physical, social, and spiritual needs met, um, and living a natural lifestyle in our modern, unnatural world. He's got some great knowledge on raising kids. Uh, he really redefined the concept of childbirth for me, and we spent some time talking about creating better templates for the next generation of humans. Uh, it was great speaking with him, and I hope you enjoy the conversation and take away some elements that you can apply in your own life to live a happier, healthier life. Uh, this episode of the of the podcast is sponsored by TFC App, which we officially launched at the start of November. Uh, the app was created as a platform for our tribe of health nerds to curate the best health content available uh, that's guided us on our learning journey so far. So as of November 23rd, when I'm recording this, we're at 87 videos, 13 podcasts, 29 blog posts, 41 books, and are almost ready to start uploading recipes so that we can make um, cooking delicious, healthy meals convenient and simple. The app is free, and you can download it from the Google and Apple app stores uh, by searching The Foot Collective. Still a long way to go in terms of working out the little bugs, especially with Android, but we appreciate your patience as we work to solve those problems. This episode of the audio project is also sponsored by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TSC head office in Ottawa are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m., and this Canadian company provides a great subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind the craft roasters that each of the beans come from. You can check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout and you'll get 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription which starts at 27 a month all in including shipping and taxes. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear and beams to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality hard cases in Canada that can keep your electronics safe during travel and you can check out their cases at nanook.com. That's it for sponsors, let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Health conversations. We are November 18th, uh, London, 3, 2, 1. Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. Uh, on today's episode, we have a really special human. Um, his name is Tony Riddle. He's been an inspiration for me and the whole TFC crew. Uh, so, Tony, thanks for being available for this. You know, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, young family, brand new one that just... Squeaky. Just came out. Yeah, Bo. Um, welcome to the world, Bo. And, uh, yeah, we had a badass morning so far. So, we went for... A little bit of a plunge to get the get the breathing going. Yeah. You rode the tube, did some hang, surf, and squat, which was interesting, the looks that you get. Um, had some matcha, and here we are in the hotel room in the Glamorous Podcast Studio. Yeah, very so, glamorous. We have an audience, which is always nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we got Yarno, Felix, and Mike uh, in the house. In the house. By. So, so for anyone that doesn't know you... Um, Maybe give them the cold notes of who you are and what you're about. So um, I think, firstly, thanks, thanks for the intro, man. Thanks right. for the invite. No worries, and, man. Um, it's always a pleasure. Love getting behind the mic. Yeah. Um, I think, firstly, for those who don't know me, I'm not a superhuman. I'm a human. <laughs> um, 
but there's human potential and then that can be perceived as superhuman but i'm right. I'm, I'm a human being good point um yeah trying to be even more human so what is, is it i do it is it is a struggle because yeah. we live in a in an environment that's deliberately set up not to enhance that but um yes so that's part of my work really is to finding ways within that environment that we perceive as not really set up to enable us mm-hmm. to find ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology right. that can help push the thrive button rather than just existing in a survival mode let's say and to some we may perceive even survival as thriving mm-hmm. until someone really shows us some protocols or things that we can put in place that enables us to just sit back and observe everything that's going on around us. So um, I guess rewilding is a good term. Um, When I first started out with that rewilding kind of label, I'd say, people just thought I was some crazy Captain Fantastic dude, you know. I had Mm -hmm. a man bun at that stage, big beard. Um, We lived on a mountain in Ibiza and um, had wild kids. And so I could see why people would see me as being Captain Fantastic. Yep. And... um, I guess the ego liked it somewhat, but it just wasn't relatable for most people in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partly me being found, find myself back in London. I had to make it reliable, relatable, right. reliable and relatable. There you go. Um, so for people then it meant that the alarm would go off. Oh, perfect. And they'd be like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's already happened in the, in the one next door. Yeah. Let's just hit pause there, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So we're back. We're the back. fire alarm went off at a perfect time. As we hit pause, <laughs> the alarm stopped. Maybe there's some kind of weird sync there. Yeah, maybe. So, um, yeah, I think rewilding what, what came up when I moved back into London is that I someone recommended me to a journalist okay. um, from the Times, which is an editor of Time Style magazine. Okay. And... Um, she basically said, I want to interview for one of the six best coaches. So again, ego was like, oh yeah, great. Six best coaches. Yeah, perfect. Um, so we met and we discussed movement to start with. Okay. And then because she wanted to know about movement and me being a movement coach and didn't see anything beyond that. So then I started to unravel it and just said, well, movement is just, it's a modality. It's like a facet of this multifaceted physical being. Mm-hmm. So then there's sleep in there, there's rest, there's play, there's digestion, there's food, there's um, human contact, connection, and started to unravel physical needs. And then I said, within that, there's then a social being, you know, and then that's how we establish what we perceive the physical needs maybe are. And then there's a spiritual realm as well, which is establishing that, that, that social kind of environment. And so for me, it's about rewilding those behaviors. And so she went, oh my God, this, I, ne- I just, sorry, I, I underestimated. I just thought it was about movement and crawling. And yeah, stuff you like opened that, up, she you opened know? up Pandora's box. And she's like, wow, okay, we need to do a whole piece. So we give you a two page in the, in Style magazine. So it's like, wow, I've got basically rewilding into the Style magazine, you know, mm. which was insane. Yeah. So with that came, ah, oh, what am I doing? I'm re- style, nature, nature, the natural lifestyleist. And we kind of went through a little bit of a rebranding through that. Originally, I was call- I was calling the process natural lifestyle coaching. Mm-hmm. But the natural lifestyleist just suddenly meant that 
Instagram blew up and social media platform blew up and right. just and it just made sense and people just made it relatable mm-hmm. and then people get to see this guy who's the natural lifestyle so they can relate to it oh it's got style behind it yep. and it just opened up more and more doors that way I found so Amazing. then through that I've then got can be teenagers through to the elder we were discussing one of the guys I coach that you're quite familiar with you listen to a few podcasts yeah, been mentioned in it and that's where this surf hang squat he does a lot of that at 78 um, again teenagers through to that from students through to billionaires cool and what I mention is that you know it doesn't matter where they perceive themselves to be on what would be what um, it's a monetary driven success model we have right yep. on the ladder of success if going back to that conversation with Style Magazine if their physical social spiritual needs aren't met or they have little understanding of them then we often find that they're unhappy in a state of suffering um, are, are definitely not hitting the thrive button mm-hmm. in survival might not even know it's survival at that stage just think that they have um, just symptoms that are so normalized everyone has them so it's just perfectly normal right. and don't realize that them symptoms are the symptoms are simply symptoms of not getting those phys- for me understanding that they don't get the physical social spiritual needs met and luckily the more and more I align their needs and the more nature I introduce into their lifestyles being the natural lifestyleist mm-hmm. the happier fundamentally more happy they are and I see them then as being more successful as human beings right not superhumans just humans again but mm-hmm. successful human beings I would mm-hmm. say and, and that's an intro we- there you go ah that was a great intro I love it. There's a lot of stuff we can take from that. It's quite refined now, you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell. You've maybe worked it out a time or two. Um, yeah, and I think until, you know, I love that you you kind of mention all three categories, right? Because the physical, I think a lot of people understand physical needs, right? I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to drink. But they underestimate the physical needs of movement. They underestimate the physical needs of play or contact with others. Um and then the social and spiritual, I, I think the word, like what is spiritual, if someone says, what do you mean by spiritual? What do you say? Because I think for some people, it's this very ne- abstract, nebulous term that they find it hard to uh, relate to. Uh, but I think everyone feels it when you, when, you, when you kind of articulate it in a way that, you know, people are like, okay, I kind of feel that, but I don't know, how do I get my spiritual needs met? You know, as a common question. If someone asks you that, what do you say? Um I think that a portal to well physical, social, spiritual realms can be just found in a simple breathing technique, right? Mm -hmm. Just simply taking it back to the breath. I mean, we could argue whether movement or breath are the first acts of life, right? Right. Both pretty aligned, really, aren't they? Yep. So let's take it back to breath, and breath is an opportunity to really tune in and just find what it is behind the veil a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find heightened states through breath work. You can have trauma release through breath work. I often just will have people just go out into nature and just sit beneath a tree and just go through rounds of breath and just keep working on breath, working on breath. And suddenly they start to tune in and hear nature and feel nature and be part of it. Mm-hmm. Spirituality just means to me being at one with nature because we are nature, not separate of it. Mm-hmm. And so that means... Um, connecting to an ego an ecosystem and disconnecting from an ego system and you can do that mm, I like that but it's easier to do in nature we can work with breath work in the zoo right and that and what we tend to find is normally you just go from being a survival fight and flight experience into a more rest and digest parasympathetic state it doesn't mean it's spiritual it just means we've now reached what should be 
almost like a pause. Yep. And then that where we can go from there is either into growth promoting state or we can go back into a protection state, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas if you go into nature, suddenly the the growth promoting state just get ampl- it just gets amplified. You create a perfect arena for it for people to understand what it is actually to be a natural being again then you can enhance it further and you can say right now i want you to get sensory more and more senses open so let's really start to feel the environment not just inhale the environment let's even keep the eyes closed still so you're just still just enhancing other sensory systems but feeling touching getting hands feet into the earth feeling the vibration of the earth grounding to the earth things that terms that are becoming more and more mainstream like grounding or other terms mm-hmm. or even go for a barefoot walk in the park that's still spiritual to me it's making a spiritual connection to something bigger which is right mother earth right that's mm-hmm. that's for me in a nutshell that's the simply in its simplest form i can go a lot deeper but other unless you've actually gone on a spiritual journey or have had spiritual rites of passage it's just going to, a lot of the time it just sounds woo woo so it right. just puts people off and it's sometimes best not to even discuss it mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and just say well actually just go just go and experience nature go out into nature or everyone's experienced what it's like we just brought a new baby into the world right mm-hmm. and that's a massive spiritual experience for everyone that's involved in it if you can get it back to the spiritual experience of birth right and not just have the inclusion of the pharmaceutical medical experience of it but if you can go there with it and beyond that, you can then have, what's it like to pass around a new baby in the room? Mm-hmm. What's it like when a new baby comes into the experience? That's a spiritual experience because they just bring something else. They bring prosperity. They bring something else in. It drops everyone into a certain frequency right. just holding the baby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's because, so powerful. Because they haven't, been, they haven't had spirituality, physical, social, emotional experience domesticated out of them. Mm-hmm. They're just divinity at that stage, right? Right. It's, it's like innate a, with them. It's everything. It's just they're just being, aren't they? They don't know any different, right? That's a great way of putting it. It's almost like you have to only give someone enough to understand how, what environment they can experience spirituality and what that means for themselves, right? It's the, the kind of thing where, like you said, it's almost too hard to explain these things with language sometimes. You just have to guide someone of how they can experience it and essentially create a meaning of spirituality for them at that point in time. Because it's very dynamic, right? Like yeah, I said, yeah, it's absolutely. It's, it's, look, it's a simple reconnection <clears throat> to something bigger, you know. Understanding that I is not I, right? There's there's a, there's a, there's a whole bigger being here right, mm-hmm. that I can be part of, and then we all experience that. Um, it's euphoria, isn't it? Or you go to, and it, it could be a group, a collective emotion. Right? Have you ever been to things like Five Rhythms or even Morning Gloryville? Because there's no alcohol, no drugs involved. It's just a morning experience. Or go to a class where there's play. Or go to a breathwork class. Or get in an ice bath. There's a collective emotion through that. And that, again, is like, ah, wow. It's beyond just a social experience then. Right. Something else is heightened through it. Where am I going with it? It's this collective being, a community. And there's human contact that comes in it. And there's communication that comes through it. But it's not verbal. It's something else, right? Mm -hmm. So what is that? Right. Um... Yeah, I, I just think that we, I, in a way, we can over-intellectualize what spirituality is, right? Right. And for me, it's just, yeah, it's just a reconnection to an ecosystem that's bigger than all of us, but that and, and then is understanding it's not, in, we're not independent of that. It's an interdependent thing. And I think largely it gets a bit lost what can be in schooling mechanisms and things like that that lead mm-hmm. us to believe that we have to, it's a dog-eat-dog world and we have to be independent. 
and it, that doesn't enhance our own uniqueness within that unique system at the same time. Mm-hmm. So whereas you and I might have very different skill sets, but in a schooling system, we 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 are coached in the same skill set. Right, you're all put in the same box. All put in the same box. But imagine if we all rocked up at the table in the in the bigger picture of it all with our own enhanced unique ability how big and strong that you that one model would be right because it's multifaceted it's not multifaceted again and i think that's part of the reason a lot of people are lost you know they come out of um school and they just kind of do what they think they should be doing instead of pursuing what resonated or what they loved in school i think part of it is like people you know shop class art class these aren't emphasized right all the uh, all the stem classes are the ones that people think oh i gotta you know science english math all this kind of stuff it's like that seems to be the path that's lit up for people whether that's subconsciously or just in the messaging of school and the other one is kind of this fringe path that people don't feel empowered to be able to pursue even if they gravitate towards it it's like well i like doing that but that's just a hobby and so they don't even explore the fact that those skill sets are powerful skill sets to have in this mixture of society um and to pursue those because that's you know if that's what makes you happy but you feel forced to go down a route that is more practical, I think that's a big reason people are lost and they're dissatisfied when they you know, spend all this money, they go through school. School is not something that they want to do. It's something they have to do as a means to an end to then be in the workforce. Um, and I think that's a big part of the reason that you just have this several generations of people that are lost and don't know what to do. And it takes them, and a lot of times they figure it out through trial and error, but I really think we're making it hard for people to develop that sense of identity with something they love um, within the school system. And I think that's, it's just kind of sad. Yeah, um, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, we could just go back into the physical, social, spiritual needs, right? So imagine you went into a schooling system that taught you about physical, social, spiritual needs. Yeah. And how to get them met, which would then create emotional well-being, right? So firstly, we wouldn't see suffering, right? So we wouldn't see the illnesses and the symptoms of suffering that we see mm-hmm. hundred different myriad of a hundred different autoimmune diseases god knows what we're seeing right yeah would we see that if we remove the suffering right um then also if you understand maslow's needs then we get to a self-actualized position right but if we go through the physical needs just food right so we understand that food is a physical need mm-hmm. that's simple right but if we play net if we apply nature to that that model we get a very different outlook because right. food in nature is different to food in the zoo. Mm-hmm. So let's say if I buy um, uh, a pre-cooked meal processed in a piece of plastic that's going to be microwaved, um, that I'm going to be absorbing God knows what toxicity through that produce. And it's total disconnection. Compared to so actually weird. going out into nature foraging, so I have a spiritual experience on the land, mm-hmm. I then... have the experience of the enzymes that are already being um, organized because I'm feeling and smelling and sensing the food. Then the digestive system is then prepared. Then the food that I then take on board is then absorbed. It's of the right frequency. So it's like it's a non-toxic product, right? Right. So who gets their needs met? Yeah. So it could be that, you know, part of this, the melees is that we, we, aren't actually even getting our, the found the very foundations of our needs met mm-hmm. you know we're walking around in a state of being overfed and undernourished but 
overfed in search of getting the simple physical need met of food. Right. Water, we could be going crazy in search of what would be the fundamental need of water, but we're ingesting chemicals and toxicity versus what would be in spring water. Mm-hmm. Movement, we're now in, we're inhaling um, exercise, right? High intensity exercise, people screaming at us in poorly lit rooms on machinery that is putting 40 movement patterns in that are going to affect just the fundamental basic biomechanical movements of walking and running. So who gets their needs met? The person in that environment or the person that grew up in a tribe that has only ever witnessed, observed natural movement? That's getting your needs met. Do you know what I mean? Right. That, this, is how, this is how difficult it is as a process, right? And then you go into, again, which would be the school environment, and what's, what's, that's like a prison system, right? Think of the food you're absorbing. Right? Yeah, you have to be so imprisoned crazy. in a chair, right? You're stuck in a room. You're stuck in an environment. You're observing teachers who are suffering from the same symptoms and the suffering, right? who still use pacifiers to deal with their own suffering. So they're still probably using drugs and alcohol and everything else and then going in resenting the very job they're doing and poorly paid for because no one respects it. And your kid is in a class inhaling that, the energy of that at least, you know. Right. And then not allowed to move and not allowed to play. And, you know, play, yes, look at play, for instance, right? You, You learn everything in a tribe through play, right? Peter Gray's work, free to learn, Looking at 10 anthropologists, looking at what childhood looks like in nature. Kids play from infancy all the way through to the age of 16, but no adult intervention. It's not adult-led play. It's not sport. It doesn't have an adult referee, an adult PE teacher. It just has play, and they play it being everything. So we go to animal flow classes, learn how to crawl. They are the animal. They've been it. They've been every part of the animal. Therefore, they have more compassion, empathy, and respect the ecosystem so have more of a spiritual connection to the animal rather than just the animal flow class do you know what I mean yep so then then they learn how to make fire track navigation all the sophisticated systems that we have to use the device for they have it from infancy through to the age of 16 so that they walk into the adult tribe as adults with all the skill sets they need right Compare that to, right, I've arrived at school I used to play I was allowed to play then my play was allocated to an hour on a concrete surface, right, with lines drawn on it. So it's structure. So it's your structure immediately with an adult intervention being a teacher on a playground um, that's aver- observing me and telling me off if the play gets too upregulated, yeah. Or too risky. <clears throat> too risky, yeah. I'm, I'm climbing on a balance beam. My God, don't do that. Yeah. That hasn't been observed in your adult tribe, so surely that can't be normal, right? And then we go through that, and then that, that play gets turned into lunch break, and then your play gets turned into a physical education, which is now a serious subject, which is removed of play, is completely adult intervention. So we've, you know? de- so, we've so. dehumanized children. <clears throat> like this, this whole element of play involving risk, I think is, is a very powerful element that we start to miss because, you know, doing something risky and understanding what your limits are, the way you discover the limits is approaching them through risk, right? And sometimes part of approaching risk or doing something risky is getting injured. But if you do it sequentially and systematically, gradually over time, you avoid catastrophic injuries. And dealing with risk, encountering something that's risky and successfully meeting that challenge is actually a very powerful life lesson that extra- that that plays over and funnels over to everything else in life so that you're now, your resting state is less anxious because you feel confident and empowered that you can meet challenges when they come at you. And by stopping kids from, you know, 
taking part in risky play, you're de-preparing them for a life that is going to involve challenges, is going to involve a certain element of risk, right? Like, why do people feel total fear when it comes to, I do something every day that I hate doing, but I'm too scared to do something that I love doing because I've never actually been allowed to experience challenges before, to experience failure and understand that failure is a part of learning how to succeed. And I think that whole thing, like it's funny how something so simple, taking play away from kids and not allowing them to do risky, playful behaviors can, can result in this trickle effect that goes so far for a lot of people. And we just don't, I don't think we understand enough about play to know what we're doing by taking that out. Yeah, because again, play, <clears throat> play for me ticks all it ticks all three realms, right? Physical, social, and spiritual. Because mm-hmm. you can you can reach heightened states through it, right? So we remove it, and then we then we have to try and rewild or rechild behaviors, you know, mm-hmm. the further down the line, right? Right. So my my work is that I'm I'm basically dealing with this. So for me, with my own kids, it's been well. We're just not going to fucking remove all that stuff. Exactly. And then we don't have to rewild it for them. I've had to spend my whole adult life unraveling all the stuff that's basically been cultured in at that stage. Yeah. That's been, that this stuff's been domesticated out and I have to go back in and rewild it back in. And it's so... To find a state that should be innately wild, connected and empowered again. Yeah. And it's hard to, like when you go... 30 years without ever experiencing play it's actually really hard to reincorporate that language into someone that's been so conditioned away from it like take a lion that survived its whole life in a zoo and put it in the wild that's a steep slope to climb because all of those innate behaviors have essentially been so trained out and you know you can't just dogmatically train in behaviors as efficiently as someone that discovers it through the natural method of of natural problem solving is play it's how we solve physical problems it's how we solve social problems right Mm -hmm. like if you have social anxiety and you're uncomfortable around other people maybe it's because you've never spent time around other people encountering subtly uncomfortable situations and learning how to adapt to them um, through body language through an interaction with someone else like why is you know, social media conversations look like vomit sometimes because there's no con. Number one, there's no context, right? We look at these um, digital connection as a replacement for inhuman communication, and it's so devoid of context that obviously it's not going to go well. And when you combine that with the fact that most people aren't even comfortable in social situations because they've been so removed from it, it's like it's easy to see how we got to where we are now and how much of a messy world the world of social media is mm. when you understand the context behind it of you know lack of human connection and lack of um social problem solving that were kind of removed from us right and even like discovering physical limits like I, I my brother's got two dogs one's a puppy and one is an older dog and when you see them play from the outside it can look actually pretty intense right they go pretty hard but then one of them yelps and then both of them instantly react go up to each other lick each other's face and it's basically like they're saying okay we know the limit now so let's stay below this but until they get there you know the dog that bites someone or another dog is it's not the dog's fault it's a dog that has never been exposed to social contact and doesn't even know the strength of its own mm-hmm. jaw or doesn't even know the context of what play is it's kind of like this never been bitten before never been bitten never never bitten something with so little jaw pressure that it doesn't hurt them but it's mm. playful and i think that that you know that analogy trickles over to so many things and you know you always say we live in a culture that doesn't that is literally designed and engineered to not meet our needs mm. and you know the question is how do we start to rewild these behaviors and i think a lot of it has to do with 
engineering an environment where these behaviors be like almost extract themselves, right? Where the opportunity to not move isn't there. Um, you know, for example, your home, I love how you, you're a ground living chairless home. And I think that's a very powerful way to rewild the ground living because you don't have the option for something convenient, right? Like Tallulah's never actually lived around furniture that she can use to be sedentary. So she doesn't even know what sedentary behavior is, right? You've never domesticated her resting behaviors. And I think, um, you know, you look in the modern day classroom and, and everyone's always like, oh, well, to change the system, you know, we don't have the budget. It's like, what kind of budget do you need to remove chairs? Yeah, put them on, put them on firework night. Put them on the bonfire. <laughs> you don't need much of a budget, right? Get all for that, instead of paying for all that timber. Oh, yeah, it's so crazy. And sometimes, like, the simplest solutions, like to grow a garden in a school, doesn't require a massive budget. To teach kids what vegetables are and how to name them and identify an edible them. garden exactly, and get like, them involved in the whole process. And so then it goes back into what we're discussing would be about the foraging experience, at least. You know, exactly make a human connection to the bigger picture being the land again right yeah you and know? and you could even have i i always said that like if you turn physical education to a true physical education that involves play that involves um seeing how how certain movements that are archetypal human movements can be lost very quickly when we stop moving and essentially putting together groups of kids to problem solve and say, listen, the only goal for this whole course is to all get back to being able to do a squat or to do a jump and stick the landing. And then you put together these little pods of kids that are left to problem solve in and of themselves and maybe give them, you know, some ideas of how they can playfully train those behaviors. They should teach their parents because the parents are the ones that need it. Well, this is it because it's, it's two pronged, right? Because we, we observe it again because our adult brain has gone through a schooling system, right? Right. Um, so that alone would that needs to be almost saying he's had the reset button put it on it because that's our own interpretation our own perception mm -hmm. so it's a bit like we're all in this room now but we all have our own perception of what the reality of this room is right now mm -hmm. do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and that's where it can fall down sometimes when we start to look at what happens with an educational model whereas if you observe again it's almost like you have to go to an unschooled environment like mm -hmm. kids that have never been near a schooling environment. And then you find that you don't need to teach, you don't need to teach them. You yeah. basically just create an environment. Yes. And the environment is what they're learning. And our role then is to facilitate, as in we create the environment. Like this is the environment for you. Mm -hmm. And just go and do what you do naturally as kids. The best example is I, I took a, a group of kids out for a, a a creative school called Busy Buttons. Okay. And they said, we'd love you to do a rewilding event with the kids and what do you want to do and where do you want to do? I said, well, we can go to Virginia Waters, this beautiful place around a lake. A bit like going to the Heath, right, where mm -hmm. we were earlier. And so we go on these bus loads with the kids and they're all really excited. They got all their stuff, all the paraphernalia, plastic lunch boxes, and jackets <laughs> on and shoes on and, and everything the adults expect them to have for their uniform for going to a creative school. Right? Yep. So then we all sit, creative school. Yeah, you know, and we all sit around in a circle, all the creative beings without all their stuff to mm -hmm. make them creative. Um, and I said, well, I want you all just to close your eyes and just tune in. What can you hear? And they're, they're all wonders. I can hear a lion. I can hear this. Like, okay, right, this, this isn't quite working for the kids, is it? I'll tell you what, just stand, all stand up, take your shoes and socks off. So you take your shoes and socks off. And then bam, immediately, kids just 
go wild right running around in circles screaming there's a few in the circle that it took time to persuade them to take their shoes and socks off that's the level of domestication that was in there right wow they didn't want to get dirty or they're told not to take their shoes and socks off not to not have shoes and socks off outside right mm-hmm. but once you let that go they were off they were literally just running around and screaming in circles right? and they were probably the most euphoric ones because it's like this sensory world that they've never experienced yeah and then the the, the two Leo and Luella because they're teaching background they then ask what is it what are we going to do with them now right and i said well, we're not gonna what's do the that. structure we're not it's almost it. like they get uncomfortable yeah, because but that's because that's their perception right. of it right but right. and it's not full and it's not wrong it's just where they're where they're their perception of that reality right and for me it was just like okay just we're not going to do anything we're just going to leave them this is the point mm-hmm. watch them just observe them you know and if anything get involved with them yep because that's that's part of it like the like we we're saying about the efficiency and the fear within movement and never scaling anything or never trying anything because of the fear of injury and the fear of risk is self-regulated risk but at the same time those tribes that have been observed by peter gray's 10 anthropologists mm-hmm. those kids could observe the adult species balancing climbing running right. jumping lifting carrying throwing yeah crawling foraging dancing wild with wild abandonment you know just that's what they observe that's that's their adult species so then of course they can act that out right and then through acting it out they then self-regulate the risk right but they need a template to begin with to observe to see and this is where it's this is the difficult process that we're going to find even in unschooling because it's the parents that need to rewild their behavior become reconnected become empowered to provide the appropriate behavior to set up the appropriate environment to keep these innate wild empowered beings from ever needing to go through that fucking crazy process again yeah then we have it so it's the middle ground somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. you know is where is where the zoo exists right you know and the more people over this side in the bubble will mean that more and more people over this side, the kids in the bubble, won't go into the zoo. Mm-hmm. And we keep growing this model over here, we keep growing, and eventually, so many generations down the line, we will start to see more and more normalized behavior, biologically normal behaviors, right. behaviors that are more in sync with our human biology. That's what could happen. That's where I'd love to see it. Yeah. At the moment, there's a there's a minority compared to the billions of people on the planet right and the danger we have because we all love talking about sustainability in the environment right and i'm huge on it and the, we did my whole run was about raising funds for sustainability in the environment mm-hmm. but less and less people are actually connected to that environment that they're raising funds for and awareness for right but not only that we also have for us to understand our adult species and what it is to be wild connected and empowered nobody's talking about the number of wild humans that are being wiped out on the planet we talk about the wild animals and 60 percent of wildlife population has gone in 50 years which is alarming yes but what about the adult species because without the adult species where is it we observe what it is to actually be truly human you're right there's no template there's no template then right so that's a dangerous space to go into because who do we listen to we listen to anthropologists but the anthropologists don't forget have gone through the zoo middle bit of this education Mm -hmm. so that's only based on their perception of what that reality is whatever that education has been yeah because to them they're observing they're observing strange creatures they'd need to understand what it is to have their true truly be aligned what their own physical social spiritual needs would be right to understand what movement would be 
you know, to just go in with a, you know, high, with a high hiking boots into a wild environment, stomping over the ground for a start, which would be like an insult to a wild human, right? Yeah. And then observe it, what their movement is, right? Because don't, don't forget, it wasn't so long ago that these people were savages, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not divine beings, right? Right. And we can't forget that because it's... And, and the other thing too is how far back does it go to where people now have a template because it goes back far. I mean, it depends what location on this planet you're at, but if you live in a city and you're the third generation of a city dwelling human, you have to go really far back to find anyone in your lineage with a template. So it's about, you know, like the seminar that we did yesterday, the end bit of the seminar, especially at the end of a a long-ish day, we always end with play because I think it gets people's energy higher. It gets people all connected after spending a full day together. We do stuff throughout the day, but adults eyes light up and it's funny because the older adults are actually the people who let loose the most mm. who enjoy it the most. this is such a novelty to them they've literally gone through 70 years of their life and they've never experienced this they've never like we do a simple game that i learned at this um, event we went to a couple of weeks ago where one person closes their eyes the other person goes behind and holds their shoulders and it's called car driving and you drive the person around you have to have this so you have touch you have vulnerability and you have a playful unstructuredness where you have to trust the person driving you around and just that people smile people laugh and it's the simplest thing but we've become so disconnected from touching another human being vulnerable to the person that we're partnered with and just having fun and and it's it's very cool to see like you're almost re reintroducing them to something that they've become so disconnected from that something so simple can be so profound to some people yeah, we, we kind of call it crazy. rechilding, right? Yeah, and rechilding, then, I like that. But through that process, you know, you suddenly see their movement vocabulary, right? Mm-hmm. So um, another story is that on a yoga retreat, uh, I do this a lot on the retreats I teach because and workshops and festivals, and it's all head-to-head contact, right? Hmm. So you have to join foreheads, yep. and you have to keep eye contact. And first of all, that's really, really uncomfortable, right? It is. Because of eye contact. And then one of you will lead, and you remove the ego. So if you feel that someone's uncomfortable within the movement, you just keep going back over it. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of understand what their capabilities are in that moment right so then it, and then you start to move as one right so it's the first connection of being outside just you right mm-hmm. and then you find that the movement vocabulary just increases and increases you have people just squatting just because they're focused on eye contact mm-hmm. head movement and the behavior of another rather than i can't squat i have a fear of squatting i have a fear of the pain in my knee i have all these things that are just creating more and more physiological tension because the body is visible for the mind right so automatically the mind is engaged in a higher form right it's suddenly a social and a spiritual experience not just a exercise of squatting right Right. it's become something far beyond that so one case was a yoga festival and i had them all just first of all just meandering around the room just free free roaming let's say humans around Mm -hmm. the room and you can walk in any direction you like and you brush shoulders you make eye contact as you go past someone you go around again every time you brush shoulders you look them in the eyes and then you go off again Right, then I want you to actually brush shoulders, you're going to hug them, and then you walk on again, right? And then you keep mm-hmm. going. Just, you just kept getting them, breaking them down into understanding what it was to have physical contact again, rather than just going, I want you straight away, as soon as you're in this room, put your foreheads together and look at each other in the eye. Right. I had to break them down and soften them. We called it warming up, right, yep. in, 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 in the zoo, let's say. So the warm-up was to just get them into warming to one another, let's say. And then eventually, I had them this head-to-head pattern. And moving suddenly out for them was outside the yoga mat we're talking about yogis at a festival and the yoga practice i i I have a yoga practice i teach a lot of yogis 
it's great, but it, it doesn't it it doesn't tick all the movement boxes, right. right? And it can be just again, what's the mat? The mat can become a cage within a practice. Can't do it outside the mat. Yeah, you're on your own island, <clears throat> and it's very indivi- it's individual again. Mm-hmm. So the spiritual aspect of it, I I struggle with sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happened is the movements then started to unravel and unravel and one of the yogis came up in the class and just said I don't understand it can you tell me what's happening I, I haven't been able to go into these ranges for over two years now I've had knee pain it's prevented me from getting this in my practice this in my practice it's gone where's it gone you know it's like well it's just a story right you just right. it's gone beyond six weeks it no longer is an injury it's a chronic issue which means it resides up here probably in the head yep and I've suddenly just got you focusing on something bigger, which is your person next to you, their eyes, their eyes, right? Mm-hmm. You've got eye contact. We've suddenly unraveled something and you've gone into ranges you wouldn't normally be able to and boom, there you're done. It's done. Yeah, you shifted the focus away from overthinking your body. Yeah, so you've you created an injury, right? You don't have yeah. an injury. It's not there. It doesn't reside there. It resides somewhere else. And, and so I think play, it's an opportunity to release trauma. And I think there's a lot of traumatized beings there and i think through that play network not only do you get to um again there's compassion there's empathy involved with it right it's not only like the kids who get to be everything right they've been the plants the rocks the animals Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to be that again and access that that something's much much deeper than a physical exercise i love movement but i think you know movement practice is still something in the zoo I, I, i love moving at right but again they're like repetitions and you know and there's formats to it which again is a rewilding process don't get me wrong but play you often find that that stuff will just unravel anyway if you set a room up with a box a balance beam a bar this this and a ball and just put kids in there watch what happens no one has to teach them right you You put dolls in there and they're like uh what do we do here and they also don't have the um the feeling of inadequacy that has come through you know what we've gained over years and years and years because mm-hmm. sport becomes spe- sports specialized movement isn't right right and it shouldn't be so, so play isn't specialized it should just be what it is generalist movement right mm-hmm. and so i think what we can pick up is the that inadequacy that can come through that so when you put a group of adults in a room like that they have to, we have to unravel that as well but I think through play you can do it. You can erupt. A room can just kind of, it can erupt, as you say. You know, it just it just suddenly you'll find it's the joy, and I think it's the joy is different to happiness in a way, right? Joy is that you can be it can be found in acts of play, right? In the moment. In the moment, it's like wow, and it's that overwhelming feeling of it. You know, I talk about breath work a lot, and I talk about nature immersion, but I think play, play is deep, deep within that too. You know, and the fear of uh, the fear of judgment of being judged by people around you for doing something that's outside of the normal schema of behavior for adult proper humans. I remember we did one seminar, and one person actually brought their um, their young daughter. She was a dancer. She was about eleven years old. And we do this game called Levels, where you partner up with someone, and all you do is you have a leader, follower, you make eye contact, one person copies the other person. And it always starts off, the first round is always very boring, Mm. I I call it. It's very structured, it's very inside the box, people are squatting, they're doing like very textbook movements, like they're doing exercise, basically, partner exercise. And then as the rounds go on, people loosen up. And But I remember this one class, the 11-year-old started doing crazy stuff. She was doing cartwheels. She was putting her hands in the air. She was doing these weird jumps. And her partner was doing it. And the partner was an adult. 
the other adults looked over and they started going wild. It was like the 11 year old gave everyone permission to be a kid again. And it was so, I was to observe it was so interesting because that dynamic, I'd never had a really young uh, kid in the room during that game before. And it always took a lot of rounds to warm up. But right off the bat, people were like, okay, this is, this is okay here. This is a safe space where I don't have to feel judged because there's a kid here and it set a totally different energy for the whole room. And it's mm. just a very, um, it's very interesting to observe that because you can always, always tell. And it's almost like at the start, the older adults, until they're, let loose out of that kind of like bubble um, are very rigid and part of it's probably fear of movement right they've a lot of these people have been told the story you can't do this because you might hurt this or you're fragile or whatever the case may be but as soon as they realize it's okay and it's not dangerous it's it's like a whole other world that they've never discovered before and i think i agree play is such a interesting avenue into many different things one of which is just allowing people to explore movement without overthinking it like you were talking about with those yogis yeah but it goes it goes even just right back to the beginning of our meetup earlier right so we did a bit of breath we got in the ponds right and then we got on the tube and mm-hmm. we get on the tube we run down the steps like 320 steps <laughs> that was so cool you know it wasn't exercise but it is exercise right yeah. but it's playful exercise we're just basically just ah oh, this is amazing right we're running downstairs and it's in a spiral and then we get on the tube right so we then jump on the tube now don't forget for most of those people we were saying earlier they're probably going to be sitting for eight hours right yep. but, but we're all in a rush to get to the seat they're sitting to get to the but seat but they don't have another template right but we've just yep. given we've, again we've just basically we've gone outside the norm but because we've had a playful a rechilding rewilding experience of what play and movement is mm-hmm. we're okay with hanging and squatting on the tube and surfing mm-hmm. and now they have a template for that they've right. seen it you know yep so then there might be probably the guy who's next to me next to us who came on who asked about what we're doing the <laughs> women who wanted to take a photo they're intrigued already yeah it's the ones that won't look they're the ones that I, I have concern for, you yep. know, because it's so it's so domesticated that they can't even look at it because it's too extreme to observe. Yeah, right? and I remember I saw I think uh, Jeff the Urban Barefoot sent me a video once, and it was a, there was a hill and there was a big group of people and there was music playing. And one person gets up and starts dancing. And that person right away is the strange person. It's oh, I've seen this. It's great. Oh, it, yeah, what yeah, a great yeah. video. It's brilliant. And I think it, it's a good... And then eventually another person gets up. And before you know it, if you're the person sitting, you're actually the strange one. And it just shows how you know the perception of norm and acceptable can change. But it takes some people to set the example. And like you said, create that template. Right? The guy that came in and said, what are you guys doing? The fact that he had to ask that we, we were just squatting, right? We we're like taking up a default human resting position. And it's so foreign to him that he's like, is some, what's going on? Like, are you guys going to the toilet? What's going on here? Um, but you know, for people like that, he's probably not going to squat on the tube right away, but maybe one day he'll be like, I'm just going to try squatting. Maybe it's at home first when there's no one else watching. Yeah. But sometimes it's just planting the seat or the person at the other end of that uh, tube carriage that kind of looks over and is like, that's interesting. Maybe it has to ruminate for a little bit before they're like, maybe I should try that. I wonder if I can do that. And I think um, this book by Nicholas Krasakis called Connected, you affect so many more people than you think, just even with your visual behaviors, mm. right? Like if that person eventually does that and then their family and their friends do it and like you, it trickles down so much. And I think by leading by example, by just being the example, I think you can connect with a lot more people that you don't even have any like contact like actual one-on-one contact with but that observation and basically challenging whatever their template whatever their script is in their brain 
can eventually result in behavior change. Absolutely, and especially when you know, especially when you then go off and you go, right, okay, what what was that? Yeah, where can I find it? And that's, you know, we we berate on the modern tech and social media, but it it, it does create another portal for that, right? So mm-hmm. I could say, right, okay, ah. Uh, I spotted some guy uh, squatting on hanging on the tube earlier. Then suddenly they see, ah, there's someone else doing this and this, and it starts to open up again. Paints a picture for and them. And it's a bit like ground living for us, you know. People are like, what, what the hell is this guy doing? I've been on, you know, and people are questioning. It's right, you don't have any chairs in your house, and really surprised by it. But that's just in our culture. Some cultures, that's the norm again. Squatting right. is the norm. It's just again the template, right? But now I'm in a position where people are now sending me images of their setup at home. Right? That's amazing. Look what, yeah, we, we tell us the measurements of your table. What height did you cut it down to? You know, it's just, and then it grows again. Yeah. But it's understanding that again, it's not woo woo. It's not like oh, we just decided yeah, we're going to cut the legs off our table. It's understanding ah, there's a physical model here, there's a social model here, and a spiritual model, right? So mm-hmm. again, by taking the legs off my table, we all ground it, right? There's over there's. Philip Beach's work you can look at but there's rest positions in nature let's say there's a hundred rest positions in nature right each one of those is a micro element of that macro skill of standing up mm-hmm. being able to stand on the tube let's say right to be able to run jump balance whatever's in there so those are the rest positions and we have in on that tube we have an option we can choose a squat rest position or we can choose the chair one of them will help help nurture the upright model and the other one will compromise it. And right. we know that sitting in a chair will do that. What we also need to understand is when we sit in a chair on a tube, it's a vibrating platform, which then if we understand the micro adjustments that we have to make within that organism, will only strengthen the crappy seated compromised posture further. Exactly. So then going back into the home again, if I look at this, so there's a hundred different rest positions. If people suddenly see that, and they hear that it's something very different it's like, oh my god that makes sense and for me it was like the the light bulb for me was just having a pilates studio mm. having a pilates studio having lola our first child at that stage and and how old is lola now so lola's 10 now okay and so the clients i used to see it was all the same issues man it was all lower backs necks sus going on functionally with a hip collapsed in the ankle i've got flat feet no you're collapsed in the ankle and just all the same conversations right and then we and then i started to be right okay that's all it's those symptoms right what is the cause and then when you go directly to the cause and you say okay there's the footwear they're leaving by the door to start the class bam yep there's the vehicle they've just got out from from sitting from driving to the car park to walk into the space in their compromising footwear bam and then you start to unravel that you say well the two simplest things i can do for myself well for any human right remove the chair or use chair care you know stuff that you can be doing right my hr department can't allow me to have a stand it won't allow me to have a standing desk um so here you go just push your chair away hold the desk do some squats go for a walk come back sit down yeah give them strategy just stretch stuff that you can do in the everyday habitat and the other one is just change the footwear because the footwear is the stuff that you're balancing in all day right and we and how how do you strengthen? Well, you strengthen off the foundation. How do you build a superstructure? Well, you look at the foundations. Joseph Fruchek, how do you how do you build earthquake structures? Well, you need earthquake foundations, right? And right. the wider and stronger and, and uh, the stronger that foundation, the better. So for me, it was it was a no brainer with that. It was like right, okay, we have to close the studio later on down the line. <laughs> And then we set up a gym that was basically movement-based and, and we looked at that as a as a core, really ran through it. And then as a parent, it was like, right, okay, it's the same story. We were right. Right, can't have chairs. 
we take the kids back to ground living um, and remove the things from that environment. It's like people asking about oh, how much TV do your kids work? Well, they don't get to watch it anymore because we don't have one, right? Just remove it from the environment. If we had chairs in the environment, they, they, they sit on them, right? right. We, we do it. We've been away. Say on my run, for instance, I had no control because we were just basically just organizing accommodation for the 900-mile run in segments, right? Every four days we get to move. So it's not like I can put in my Airbnb right, on a ground living home because we're right. not there yet. You got to make it work. It will happen, but it's just not there yet, right? Yep. And um, you just have to make it work. And the kids were just all over the sofas and all the chairs. But guess what? It's a novelty. Mm-hmm. For them, it's like, wow, I can jump in up and down on the something furniture. Something to climb on. Something to climb on. It's <laughs> just seen as differently rather than just something to collapse into. Yeah. So um, again, their templates are very, very different. But Tallulah's, Tallulah's been, she's been the most kind of, it's been quite extraordinary observing her because she's kind of had the full force of it. Mm. And I'm sure it'd be even further with Bo, you know. But for Tallulah, it's been very, very interesting because all the stuff that we're led to believe, again, in this middle piece, not the innately wild or the group that have been rewilded, have gone through a rewilding process. Mm -hmm. But I think even the motor skill milestones need to seriously be looked at. I think we need to change that template completely, go into nature, observe natural beings, what their motor skill milestones are, to fully unravel what all the little ground rest positions are that lead to that child being upright. Mm -hmm. That needs to be, that's the first thing because yeah. Tallulah I got to see so much she was climbing already at one year rock climbing you know just wow. butt naked up and down the rocks that's amazing I've got a video I think of her at 11 months walking through the San Juan market like weaving between people, people. weaving not like a toddler just actually strong enough to actually weave and change direction wow and I honestly believe that's just from not having a sitting existence and just being on the ground, but also observing the adult yes. species doing the same. Because that's the template. So then she has the template. So it's right. not like, oh, you need to go through all this stuff. And we're the hierarchy over here. We're the nobles. <laughs> we're the ones who brought chairs in. Yeah. yeah. And you peasants down there. And we're going to feed you down there. Or yeah. you have to come up in a high chair. Exactly. So we all at her level. The whole know? tribe behaves whole in tribe. alignment. And a lot of times she'd just be up because we had a ground sitting table. She'd be up on the table. And she'd just be grabbing stuff from everyone's plate and playing with food. <laughs> no one mashed food up and gave it to her because yep. she might not have been hungry or disliked the color at that stage. So, it's her, you know, it's just the palate changes, everything changes. And what we think we do for convenience for kids, it, it's one of those things where, like, these baby jumpers, where they have these things where they're hanging, they have support mechanisms to allow them to stand before they've earned the micronutrients. The to, right of passage. To use that macro yeah. position. Yeah. You know, we think that that's good. Oh, we're getting them to put weight through their legs. Or, oh, wait, we're going to mash up their food because it's hard for them to chew it or digest it it's like when you look back so many of these problems that we have now you know vision problems tooth problems you know jaw problems all of these things you know if you really dig deep and look into it daniel lieberman's book really opened up my eyes to look at every problem pathology disease that we have as what potential mismatch could this be a result of instead of saying oh humans are broken um you know we need braces we need our teeth are just worse now than they were before it's like what are we doing now that is disaligned with what our biology with what our our genes are adapted for and how can we swing the pendulum closer to that side because for a lot of people like i think this the move nat stuff it's very you're right we've we've basically structured natural movement but at the same time that's the bridge to get someone to where they need to be because because the fear response when someone sees you walking around barefoot like i was i did a seminar in columbus columbus ohio and i walked around barefoot for two hours downtown and it was actually a beautiful downtown area but 
I got a lot of interesting looks. They were doing a marathon there that weekend. So there was a lot of active fit people. Um, well, I shouldn't say active. I should, there was a lot of runners. Um, and I got so many weird looks because it was totally novel to them. And, and probably to them, I looked like some fringe weirdo um, because they don't know the why. They don't have the awareness. They might think, oh, he's doing it to look different or, or that guy's just a weirdo, but they don't know why. They don't know the value there is in going barefoot because no one's told it to them. And it's so separate from their schema that I looked like a tribal imposter in their city, mm. not someone to be looked at as, oh, I wonder if that's a value of doing. Well, you're socially extreme to them. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like... I remember you always say society is biologically extreme. Like mm. society is extreme. And so if you align with your biology, you actually become the extreme person when in reality, it's actually, we're all doing extreme things based on what our bodies are adapted for. And I think you need those bridges. You need people that can articulate the why, not just do the behavior, but articulate the why of, of this is why I'm doing this. Because without understanding why or having awareness, there is no way someone is going to be accepting of actually tr- trying those behaviors out and i think that's an important thing you know the education stuff that you spread what we're trying to do in seminars that helps people at least have some piece of data to get them to try and understand the why maybe it doesn't they don't buy in right away but at least they have a piece of information that is incongruent with the way they think reality is but can potentially open up the door to say maybe i should look into this like maybe you know and it's and it's really i used to take this approach where you see things so obviously that you look at people wearing triangular shaped shoes and you're like, that is, how is that person doing that to themselves? And I used to like get really frustrated. Like, how are you doing this to yourself? How are you, how can you do that? But now it's like, you don't know that's bad for you. Mm, You don't, no one's ever told you that that is what's causing your problem. So how do you, in a respectful, loving way, express to this person that I'm telling you this because I care about you and I want you to be able to understand this for yourself. You can make the decision yourself. But if you're not, you know, Gabor Mate talks about how responsibility is broken down into response able. You are not able to respond if you don't know what the problem is. Mm. And getting people to at least be open-minded to, to trying to understand the problem um, is an interesting problem to solve. Because every person you speak to is an experiment that you do to see how well they respond to what you said. And what I realized is it has, it has very little to do with what you say. It's all about how you articulate it and you know, with what context and what relationship do you have someone that you're articulating that with? Because family is my most, my biggest frustration, right? The people that are closest to you are the hardest ones to change because they see you as a different, they don't see you as an authority. They see you as, oh, they're doing crazy shit again, right? And it's this very interesting dynamic where if you can convince your family to to switch their behaviors to more healthy behaviors, I think you can switch anyone's behaviors. Yeah, I think also oh, you have to switch your um you, you have to switch your need to change them because it comes from a great place because it's love, isn't it? Yeah. But we also, I think, sometimes have to surrender to some things people might not get in this lifetime, but they might get it in the next. Mm-hmm. And we're all part of that. You know, it can be, oh, you get something within a week. Mm-hmm. I might take a year. Who's Who benefits the most? I might have learned so much more through that experience over the year getting That's there. That's true than in the day that you've taken to get there. Because you've taken the journey instead of exactly. gotten faster. So then I've don't, I not only have the knowledge, I have all that experience that goes with it. That means I'm probably wiser for that. Mm-hmm. I've become wise in the experience. That's a good point. I think also is to always have compassion. I sometimes feel it's harder to have compassion for your own kin family than it is to people outside it mm-hmm. sometimes, right? And 
to anyone that's walking around out there or people on the tube earlier there's no judgment there it's yep. just again we've we've talked about templates and we understand there's you haven't seen anything different outside of your norm but also the programming that's gone into that norm is really deep it's like in those first formative years up until the age of seven that's now in your perception how you view your reality mm. and it can take such an emotional spike to change something that's so deeply rooted in that those emotional years or catastrophe or catastrophe. Physical catastrophe so it's always having just the compassion i think for the all the seven-year-olds that are out there walking around because we're simply just you know when the shit hits the fan 95 percent of this subconscious world we're operating at that one to seven-year-old trauma Mm -hmm. so there's loads of people out there that are upregulated stress don't know anything different and to make any significant change would be really tough in that in that realm and you know? scary for them and scary well. for them because life is scary for a lot of people you know so it's always i always find it's i i used to get frustrated i used to get really frustrated and i i just felt that the next rung on that ladder you know, for some of the people they see, oh, it might be the footwear might change. It might be their sleep changes for them anywhere. Or they might go to any seminar you go to, you'll come away with something. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you know it all, it's best to go with a beginner's mind because you might get one little nugget out of that that might give you the code to get to the next rung of the ladder, the next rung of the ladder. And mine used to be frustration. Used to, I used to get so frustrated. I can't understand why people don't get this and my parents aren't getting me and this, 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 this. And then I just went, you know, I'm just going to live it. I'm just going to be i'm just if i yeah. just be people will get it and my parents will get it and they didn't get it what we were doing with the kids couldn't understand um, natural birthing couldn't understand especially not going to school where you're going to socially integrate them um natural food organic wild food didn't get it it's everything it didn't matter what we said they just didn't get it and then we said well we're just going to do it and we just be it mm -hmm. and now it's the kids are so amazing you know the kids are this the kids yeah. are this the kids are this and you do, I don't have to say anything I'm not going to say well I told you so yeah because I'm just being I could say I'm being so but you know that's I think that's the difference and I think that again comes from experience and and the knowledge you have to actually go out and experience it mm -hmm. and we know that we're information rich we're experienced poor so I think we have to kind of flip that in a way and we have to go out and experience more and more and more and more and challenge and challenge system. But again, having compassion for those that can't because in that schooling system, you, free thinking has been cultured out again, you know. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a platform and it's somewhere that luckily podcasts like this and conversations like this you know, it's an incredible time for that, isn't it? If you think about it, it's an it amazing is. It's time. It's a crazy time. Because I yes, we're information rich, but, you know, this is an opportunity to say, well, wow, I can go out and do that. I could go to the heath. I could go in the ponds. I could go and do breath. I could go and run up and down the stairs on the tube. I could go and hang on the tube. I could go and squat on the tube. Yeah. I could do all these things. Or I could take one of those things. And because to look at the whole thing around your physical, social, spiritual needs is overwhelming. It's like incredibly overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. So for my parents, imagine they're like in their 60s. For them to make a change or me to come in, I'm I'm their I'm their son. It's not meant to come that way. They're right. my elder. It's a unidirectional. They're not my elder. They're an older. Yes. So it's a tough one for me to try and tell them to do anything. They're, right. It's and ancestrally through the ancestral spiritual system, that's a big no-no. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the that's half of it. So they they will learn for observation though. They really do. Like my parents, if I go around to their home, it's kind of like. 
oh look what we're doing now we've got this oh we've mm. we're now using my mum's now using hemp protein and chia seeds and you know and it's like wow okay this is brilliant they they learn through observation and absorption too exactly Just it's like the kids. same model you yeah. see and and it's so much more powerful than we think the observation so i think partly when we're on the tube and we're doing that stuff you know i think there's the there's the it's none of your business what other people think of you right that's right. quite a nice term yeah i like that but where it is um important what people think of you is that first seven years mm-hmm. so the first seven years if we all just went around and respected the first seven years of life right and thought well there's someone that's here before the age of seven so everything they're recording in those first years will become the templates for the rest of their life so what kind of human being what kind of potential do i want to demonstrate to them yeah you know and when you are when you be it the beautiful thing about that is that when people are ready to accept ready to learn or accept information they will ask you they'll ask you why you're doing these behaviors they'll when they're ready to accept or change they will ask you instead of cramming it down their throats when you have no idea if they're Mm. ready to actually internalize or accept or or you know challenge their identity and the way that they live their whole story through their whole life you know you never know when someone's ready but they'll tell you when they're ready if you are being the behaviors and i think on the topic of the whole the first seven years of life like i loved it when someone the other day asked felix you know what do you do what do you do this is like a common thing everyone asks he says i'm a father and that was the first thing he said and there was a long pause and the person's like that's amazing yeah because that is a hugely important role for how his two twins are going to form their identity their schema of whether the world is inherently good or bad safe or dangerous mm. and like to be a guide there full-time present as a father instead of just giving people whatever's left in the tank after a full day of putting your energy into something that most people don't even enjoy doing and bringing some of that subconscious stress into the home and being the example with the stress that's a big shift in how his two kids are going to grow up yeah their template right i, I yeah. posted about it i think it might have been yesterday about protocols because for a lot that for a lot of people that is that is their life right, right. so what do they do let's give them solutions mm-hmm. you know right. and it should be right okay i'm i'm on the tube it, i'm not prepared to hang and squat i'm just not going to do it it's, mm-hmm. i'm too, it's too fearful of what people think of me and judging me right and it's a stressful environment there's a weird energy down there i'm absorbing all that weird energy and chances are i'm going to take that weird energy and i'm going to deliver it in my house yeah and my kids have been waiting for their papa to come home for eight hours right and that's a lifetime to a child right and who do they want to come in the door and for me it's they want the the representation of a father to walk through that door right with his skill sets Mm -hmm. and so what you have to do is you have to dump all the stress and the crap at the door and so what i do i because we all get it you know right i might my life's ramped up right now right i've got so much stuff going on post run things just got ramped up and so i might go from podcast to an interview or this then i've got coaching i've got this all that stuff right yeah and so my my thing will be okay the tube is that craving environment lucky for me i can squat i can hang i can do all that stuff i don't care right what's Mm -hmm. who's looking at me what i'm doing and then I, I take the pace out of my day by 10%, right? So I reduce everything down by 10%. So my walk will be 10% slower than anyone else around me. Hmm. And then I get to see, and then I get to observe, you see, because I become the observer because I'm moving slower than anyone else. And then you get to see the stress of everything around you. So already you've made, you, dif- you there's a differentiation between the two, right? Right. 
And then I, then I take everything to nasal breathing. So I start, close my mouth up and I just breathe in and out through my nose and I check in with my breath. That's the beauty of saying nasal breathing. People say, yeah, but I breathe through my nose. Yeah, but try actually breathe through your nose. Actually recognize that you're doing it. So you mm-hmm. breathe up through the nose, not in through the nose. Remember earlier so at the pond. So this is in through your nose and this is up, up. through the nose. Yeah. yeah. And you just kind of go for a long tempo of an exhale. So it's an in-breath, inhale, up through the nose and exhale. And the longer the exhale, the more the heart rate and the blood pressure will drop down. So you then start to unravel a bit of your day. And then I arrive at the door. And then again, I would actually deliberately do 10 full cycles of breath at mm-hmm. the door. Yeah. Before you walk in. Before I walk in. And then I've tuned into what would be the frequency of the child. Because a child's brain frequencies up until the age of seven are what we can only really dream of achieving in me- breath work and meditation anyway. <laughs> right, like Bo where he is now, that's like deep anesthetic right now he's in wow right so that incongruity if you're at a super revved up level automatically (sighs) imagine the oh imagine it so they're in that's like so that's like basically some crazy person walking into the room while you're meditating yeah Yeah. (laughs) because you don't have to say anything yeah they're so in tune with energy that they just experience the energy of it but Mm -hmm. we get that anyway you know you could be at a party and someone walks in you go wow what is it about that person i'm really attracted to them right well we're not going near that one so we get that anyway. So you, he, in, that's what needs to be understood, really, about energies and frequencies, but also down-regulating. No one wants to see stress papa, right? They want to be, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just papa. This, this is any relationship, right? This right. isn't just with kids. This could be going home to your wife, your girlfriend, or girlfriend going home to boyfriend, or whoever's in the house, right? right. Just friendship, partnership, whatever it is, it will transform a relationship. Just that simple, simple tool. And I always take it back to the breath because, again, you know, it's the first act of life and the last. So really it's just tuning into that. I think we'll, that everyone can get something from that. And it's the bridge, too, from conscious to unconscious. It's that yeah. being able to tune in, you know, your your mood, your state, even your facial reaction. If you walk into your door at the end of the day and the first facial reaction that your kid sees on your face is one of, you know, that you don't even think you're doing, obviously, but is one of tension and stress and, like that that's a that signals an unsafe you know like a a, that's a barrier and i think it it plays into the whole dynamic of how you set the tone when you walk in and see well let's let's say you let's say you grew up in the complete opposite of that breathing calm zen papa and you had a stressed out emotionally inept papa right who's inherited that so it's not judgment against the emotionally inept papa right that's what he's inherited and it might come from generation to generation before right but that's now in your first seven years right consciously you want to be i want to be zen papa right but because you've had a ramped up day with the stress when you get ramped up you 95 that subconscious stuff that trauma acts out Mm -hmm. so you're now the five-year-old child who's about to enter the door who's had an upbringing of children are meant to be seen, not heard, right? Mm. What are your children going to sound to you like when you walk in that house? Right. Every act of their play, and what do we do? We learn everything through play. Your kids are having a physical, social, spiritual experience, emotionally connected. You're going to create these amazing beings, and you're going to walk in the door of a five-year-old and all that domesticated out of you, and you'll probably, chance are, you're going to start inheriting that language in that moment. That's why it's important to unravel it because breath work and meditation give us an opportunity to alter the conscious, that that pathway between the conscious and subconscious world. The subconscious world, what we're operating at 95% of the time, the way to keep the 
the crap out is to keep the reticular activation like the gatekeeper the gate closed breathwork and med- meditation things that enable you to be present in that moment keep the gate closed right. which stop all that weird stuff coming in same as when you get into the cold if you work with the breath and you work with down regulating the system it stops the fear and everything else coming from that subconscious world the reticular activation system the gate can be closed through the breath and being super conscious in that moment you know there's some, it, there's some science behind it you know because it helps just rather than just have the for sure you know and i think there's so much value like the value in cold because i have friends that are like why do you do that why would you go into cold that seems silly like why would i put myself through that and i think that it's trying to find out how you can articulate the why of well it teaches you to tap into something that you don't have access to it teaches you it allows you to have a practice to get better at tapping into having more control being the gatekeeper of those emotions and it's like that's the powerful part of it right it's not about going into cold and and it's not really it's not totally about physiology in fact the lesser part is physiology it's how can you control your breath in a situation that's stressful so that when you're coming away from a stressful day, you can do the same effect. You've trained that effect. People look at men, at physical training, they get it, right? I do bicep curls, my biceps get bigger. If I do it over time, they get stronger. But people really underestimate, because it's abstract and it's not physical, you can't see it. They underestimate the fact that not only is the mind able to be trained, but if you don't, it ends up going crazy. It ends up being this wild, cluttered space that doesn't signal to you that it's wild and cluttered when it is, you get those symptoms through i i go to food because i'm suffering or i go to instagram or whatever like they're very disconnected from the end result of having a cluttered mind and the initial start of what that cluttered mind is and i think things like breath work things like cold immersion um, sometimes things like psychedelic just give you a gateway Mm. it's almost like a, a tool to fast track your awareness not to always be used to to tap into that but to get you there closer um and to make it more tangible like it's like a it's a crash course you're there you either deal with it or or you learn from the experience and you work on getting better dealing with it next time and i think that's where that's that's so powerful yeah i love i love the cold immersion for that i think you know because it's the the um physiological benefits always way up there aren't they on the pedestal mm-hmm. the adaptation right build your immune system yeah it's great and, and beating of chests and stuff like that but yep. the actual rite of passage of it is phenomenal yes so it puts people through a rite of passage to face fear in a way i find it as that i call it like the micro um hit of adversity mm-hmm. you know and you then uh if i can manage to stay calm and remain calm in that process then you've raised the game. You have really raised the game. You know, then it, then you can take that practice into anything. It's like, right, okay, I've got a stressful email to answer. Okay, mm-hmm. go back into that realm. Just exactly. Go into the same state that you found in the ice. And it's like... And what you used for that, what came up for you. And the other one is just finding what's, what comes up with that. Like we talked about Yehudi earlier. Yeah. Because we love his old hanging and squatting and surfing. <laughs> I love it. Process, but he's also into breath work. And his fear, his main fear, based on early trauma was cold cold exposure and ice so he was um born with the umbilical cord steel and so they put him onto a freezing cold slab this is his piece together intellectualized story of the process yep. right um and then he's just had this trauma fear of cold like massive so 70 wow. 78 years he's had that and then I was like, right, we're gonna do we're gonna do a workshop. We're gonna do an ice bath. We we'll do some breath work. We we'll have some movement and play, so we can ramp things up through play and get the collective emotion going. Then we're gonna go through the breath, 
and then we're going to go into the cold so like using all those three together it's so powerful and he was and he was so up, up for it i'm up for it i'm up for it and then that day day before turn i can't do it i can't do it right. so i spent i think 45 minutes pretty much like doing our own podcast together mm-hmm. talking him through the process and he came right um and he arrived and he got in he got in the ice he roared man you'll hear the stuff that came out and then he said to us and he got out and he was all you know i'm celebrating i said you're not done yet we're going in again if right. you can go in again then we've done so then he went in again amazing yehudi has now been doing a cold bath for four minutes like every morning yeah. <laughs> gets up he uses the breathing apps. He puts the breathing app on that I showed you earlier. We yep. can maybe put a link into that. I think it's so good for people. For sure. It's by Eddie Stern. Um, and he puts the breathing app by the side of the bath, walks into the bathroom naked, just gets on the floor, does, um, I think, does five minutes on the breathing app, mm-hmm. and then gets in the tub, does three minutes with the breathing app, and then wow. out. You know? So for him, it's been, that's now, then he can go through, and then we can talk about the physiological benefits for a 78-year-old, you know what I mean? And the immune mm-hmm. system and all that stuff and his metabolism, mm-hmm. great. But let's look at the trauma that has been probably guiding that guy for 78 years yeah. has basically been removed in a fundamental rite of passage. By discovering what it, it wasn't a trauma he didn't want to deal with. He didn't even know the trauma existed until he realized, until I'm really up. scared of cold. Mm. Yeah. That's very interesting. Let's talk about, um, so you, this morning when we were chatting and I, I really appreciate how the energy that you give off when, cause we all went, you know, the, the five of us went to this pond and, um, it's pretty damn cold, right? It was, it was, uh, I was, part of me was like, uh, I'm, I was a bit nervous and I do like, I do cold showers and we do cold immersion, not nearly enough as we should, but we try and do it up in, um, Canada and it can get pretty good, but it was never, you know, a lot of times it's get in and do like 10 breaths. But this, you know, when we were getting in, you're like, we're just gonna, we're gonna do two minutes. And that set the tone and you were very calm and relaxed. You're like, you're just gonna breathe. We're gonna do two minutes. And the guidance that you give essentially instilled confidence. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this and it's gonna be okay. And this is, you know, you set the tone and it was, uh, it was, it was very comforting because if we had just gone ourselves, we probably just would have gotten in five, five breaths out. That's it. And we would have felt like it was an accomplishment, but it was very, you can tell you've guided other people to doing this because well, it is an, accom- it's an accomplishment getting in there anyway, right? Sure. Even, even, you know, arriving at the ponds is an accomplishment. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think guy go, going through breath again before you go in. So already you're in a calm, open state, aren't you? So you're mm-hmm. open. And then as you're getting into the cold is always remember to um, exhale. So I learned this through Arthur Paulins, who's an amazing breath and one of Wim Hof's disciples. He's a great coach. And it was sunny as we were getting people into the cold. It's like, breathe out. Just breathe out. Because what happens is we, chance are we're going to breathe in, right? We're going <gasps> to, and we breathe in. And now what? And then other people go, just breathe. And we forget. We've, I've already <laughs> breathed. Because you can't yeah. breathe again once you've already inhaled. So it's always about breath out. And the breath out allows the space to then inhale again. Hmm. And remember that on the breath out, we get the lowering of the blood pressure and the heart rate. So we start to drop into a more relaxed state anyway. And then the idea about two minutes is that once you get to two minutes, we, we, we just start to soften. It's like you get comfortable in the space. So then we could stay in for longer, right? Hmm. Very interesting. But it's knowing there's, you know, it's not, it's like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I like the idea of cold showers, but it just doesn't, for me, I'm it's not ne- the same. It's not the same because you're, mm. not, you're not basically creating the full experience. 
And I think even if you just did cold baths at home, do three cold baths a week, just where you're working on breath, get, people get the app going, just working with the breath app and then just getting in the tub. You're not doing these massive deep inhalations. And I think that's a big shift as well for me that when I first discovered Wim's work, I think I, started, I used it on a retreat five years ago, right? And um, I, and then I'd always use the same breath. I did his online tutorials, did his online coaching. And then it, something shifted for us and we were taking people through the process in the studio. We'd meet up like we did at the ponds. We usually meet once a Sunday, mm -hmm. uh, every Sunday, sorry. We meet even at the ponds or then it became the studio in the summer here and we needed mm -hmm. the ice, right? And we get everyone in a circle and I think it's Chris from WeMove suddenly pulled out the app and he went, just try this. And mm. we just went through parasynthetic nasal breathing, just really calm. And everyone doubled their time in the ice. Yeah, so it's a different tone. And it's such a different tone. So whereas what I found with Wim's breath, that breathing technique, most people, as we've discussed, like the pupper conversation back there is stressed. Mm -hmm. They're experiencing that to get to my studio. Or get experience that to get up sometimes, even in the morning to get to the bath. Mm -hmm. So why upregulate them? Right, they're already upregulated. Right, let's find ways of just really d dumbing things down, really tuning in and just calm and try and find more calming positions. That makes more sense to me now. Yeah, I um, agree. And then I, if someone's down in the afternoon, rather than smashing coffee and caffeine and stuff like that. Then there's the opportunity. Then I'd use Wim's method. Tap into the upregulation. I'd start upregulation. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I found very interesting. So on the way to the uh, to get some matcha fuel on ourselves after the after the swim, we were talking about childbirth, and you just recently had uh, another baby. And your perspective on childbirth, talking about it, going from a pharmacomedical experience to a uh, a very spiritual. Um, like basically a family, a full family experience was such a different picture than what I had ever envisioned for childbirth. And, um, I think it would, I want to listen to this after the fact, and I want to listen to you talk about this again. So can you talk a bit about that and how, how that shift happened for you? Like if this was a new thing, if what you've learned, cause you're, you have four kids now and I feel like you're basically an expert at giving childbirth and the way you were talking about it, and it was so tangible. It was not complex jargon. It was, this is why we do it this way. This is what we've learned. This is what we experienced. And it was like such a beautiful spiritual experience. The picture you painted in my head when you explained it. So yeah, maybe talk about I that. I told bit. you we should have recorded that. I know. I Loads know. of pressure That always now, happens huh? when you talk to people before. Um, well, firstly, it's to understand again that childbirth is a physical, social, spiritual experience. Yeah, right? rite of passage. Right? Rite of passage, right? So it will blow the lid off any ayahuasca ceremony. You know, like Katarina just said, she's had the most profound insights and things happen in childbirth. Wow. Um, but it's changed for us again, like through the years, like with Lola, she was like our experiment in a way with um, throwing away chairs and, you mm -hmm. know, and, and suddenly we flipped. It must have been tough for her because we can't suddenly flipped what was our normalized behaviors. Boom. Right. In that moment. And Lola was born in a natural birthing unit. So we had what is the what Yehudi is basically famous for bringing natural birthing back in right mm -hmm. so um, they had a birthing pool and they have a suite and a bed and stuff like that set up for you to go and give birth right but it, and it's mid it's a midwifery team there's no um, doctors in there right mm -hmm. and it's separate from the labor ward 
So that's a good starting point for someone that's from the middle over in the middle ground here who wants right. to rewild childbirth but has no template for it. Right, it's a so, different environment. So it creates a safe environment that's not the not the labor ward, right? right. The laboratory ward. Labor right? ward. That even sounds. It's so a laboratory, weird. really. So it removes that, right? Um, what we what. Lola wasn't born in the birthing pool. She was born out of the birthing pool. And then so um, there was a little bit of gas and air, I think, there for Katerina. Mm -hmm. And she kind of got lost in the gas and air mm -hmm. and got out of body, which is, you know, do we really want to be doing that when we're right. having this? You want to be grounded, but you also want to be able to be grounded and ascend at the same time, not be completely out of your body. Do you know what right. I mean? So that's what came from that learning, I think. Um when Millie was born, Millie was born breached at home with midwives, mm -hmm. but really quick, like so quick and in a squat. I think Katerina squatted for 45 minutes. So the first, that's one lesson. I would say, and this is, you know, people are going to take this whatever way they need, they take it. Yep. And I'm not meaning to offend anyone out there, but I'm going to say that I don't think the majority, a large portion of women aren't physically strong to enough yep for what would be a natural birth. A natural birth would be kneeling or squatting. And if you've got to go through labor for however many hours and you've got to go in and out of a squat, can you squat normally today mm -hmm. before even getting pregnant? Do you know right. what I mean? Yes. And that includes the birthing partner, the husband. Can you squat? Can you get behind your partner to squat behind them to keep them propped up to be able to enable them to squat? Mm -hmm. um, that's one side of it. Then we started to understand more about the microbiome. So then right, the conversation went to, right, there's no way you should be having birthing pools it's, for me it's just like having to be like having a c-section where you're not going to get exposure to the microbiome mm -hmm. so the baby picks up the mother's bacteria that becomes its foundation right so as the baby's head comes out comes obviously through the vaginal canal that's some bacteria but it turns towards the anus which is other bacteria right mm -hmm. and then that becomes a foundation then breast milk properties in breast milk feed only the bifidobacterium of the baby so that's like the foundation of that so if you have a C-section, in some spaces you can ask for um, a swab. So that would be one way of doing it if, you're, if you have to have a C-section. Remember, it's, this, sometimes right. it's going to work that way. Um, again, the birthing pool is a great idea, I think, for pain management and also taking some weight off. But what does chlorinated water, huge body of water, do to bacteria? Is the baby going to be picking up the microbiome it needs as the baby's born into water? Probably right. not. You know, I, I'd say not. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's the best environment to actually give birth into, personally. Mm -hmm. It's different to what, again, would happen in nature because in nature you might be in a river or you might be, you know, do you know what I mean? Spring water. Yeah, but real, actually, water. But real bacteria in there at the same time. Right. You know? Um, bacteria from the environment that baby's going to then yeah, grow up yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is a natural environment. So we're all sitting in, we're all inhaling bacteria the whole time anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you have a choice. Do I go again? Do I want a natural experience of that bacteria or do I want to be in a clinical environment for that? So that's another thing between the home environment and the hospital, hospital mm -hmm. environment. Um, then I would say that, you know, then Tallulah's birth was just so different again. Tallulah was born, um, Katerina created this white room, like sheets and amazing um, music and just turned it into a spiritual room, a spiritual womb, I nearly said perfect there, spiritual womb, <laughs> into a spiritual womb and um, focused on breath. And it, and again, it just happened. It was, it, it, the contraction started one day and they kind of came in and out but then the birth I think was so rapid it was like 45 minutes again done wow. 
but because of the calm state and the breath work and that happened without a midwife because the midwives didn't get there in time mm-hmm. So I caught Tallulah in that situation and then just passed her directly on to Katerina. So that's skin on skin immediately, but mm-hmm. with just us, which is a, that's about as calm as you can get it. Different energy. Different energy. Is that how it works in nature? Look, I think what we've lost is just the wisdom again. Mm-hmm. The knowledge might be there, but the experience is void. Yep. Um, so with Tallulah's birth, I thought it was really important that we invite the girls to it and they'd be present. So they were present. Why? And people were like, fucking crazy. It's like, we're going to traumatize your kids. I was like, why would I traumatize them? Yeah. What, because, because of your template of what you perceive childbirth to be, which is screaming maybe for an epidural and, you know, and, you know, just terrified of the situation because you've inherited the same terrifying story that childbirth is the most painful experience ever, like giving birth to a bowling ball or a watermelon. I don't want my kids to have that. So they got to see a beautiful spiritual experience. Katerina wasn't screaming the house down, wasn't crying. And we, and it all happened without a midwife. Is that going to happen to them? Who knows? But at least right. I've created a really fearless rather than fearful approach yep. to childbirth which means then it removes attention, the then chances are it's going to be more aligned with a physical, social, spiritual experience for them, which is going to create emotional well-being and what's the best environment to bring a baby into and a holistic environment, I would say. So the first very template of that baby's experience is that. And the contrast to that, like the hospital environment is this sterile, white lab environment where chaos is everywhere. There's lights, there's all these stimulus, there's strangers coming in and out they're screaming like it is a totally you understand why people are like why would you expose your kid to that trauma it tells you what their yeah. schema is but I, but this but at the same time you know there's people that have gone through that process and people that are going to go through that process and right. it's just to understand that you know that if you are going through the process you, know, you have to kind of have an understanding or a little template of what it looks like in nature mm-hmm. because if you don't understand what it looks like in nature yeah, you are comparison. completely surrendered to the laboratory experience of what things are yep um, and you never know how it's going to turn out. Like with Bo, Bo was born again. We, we, it happened really quickly from when Katerina was like, right, it's happening to right, the head's coming. So we get the midwife, the team in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it brought energy in that wasn't like our energy. Mm-hmm. It brought a new experience into the room. And Katerina's contraction shut down and she also went back to two centimeters being dilated. So there's no baby coming now from being head's coming now down to two centimeters immediately in that short window of time yep. and that was just bringing a whole new energy into the place that just wasn't our vibe a bit like the dad coming in the room had the midwife maybe known about i'll do a bit of breath work i'll do a bit of down regulating because i've driven like a lunatic to get here in half right. an hour right and i've been woken up it's 2 30 in the morning and i'm revving at 10 energy 000. yeah yeah that energy was enough to shut down the experience and in nature it would look like this I'm, I'm going to creep off and I'm going to go and give birth in the darkness, in the quiet, everything's shut down. Oh, I hear something, right, I need to protect my baby, so I'm going to shut everything down again. The fight and flight response would kick in and then I could get away. You know what I mean? It's all designed yeah, that way. That makes sense. So if you have to understand that then if you're going into a hospital experience and you are going into one because that's what you surrendered to and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, again, it's no judgment because it's a rung of the ladder where everyone is and it's where the system is right now. You have to have the mechanisms in place and how can you do that? You prepare the physical vessel for childbirth, right? Make sure you're physically strong enough and capable enough mm-hmm. 
to give birth in a squat, kneel and get into the appropriate birthing positions and not lie on your back and try and push a baby uphill because the birth canal isn't shaped like that, right? Mm -hmm. The squat will enable gravity and the contractions to make birth much easier for you and it will also open the pelvis up because that's what the squat does, right? right? So it's the perfect position to have bowel movements in and give birth to, right? In. So that's preparing the physical body. Make sure you've spent your nine months preparing your squat you can get easily get that physiology strong enough in nine months i can do it to you in six weeks so there's no excuse for that the other one would be to go and have a microbiome test the moment you find out rather than pregnancy test kits go and get a microbiome test kit figure out what the diversity of your gut is then that will mean that your child is going to inherit the appropriate microbiome that it should be coming into the environment with whether you have a swab or whether you have a natural birth yep but yeah but not a birthing pool right so then that, that will enable you to understand foods to minimize through doing a, my Viome is one, right? I really recommend that. It gives you a full report of foods to minimize, foods to maximize, foods to take out, mm-hmm. superfoods, and then it gives you a diversity report of your gut and the probiotics it recommends for that diversity to grow a good gut garden. My that, Viome, you said. My Viome. Okay. Interesting. And so you then, you then, you've then prepared the microbiome and you've prepared the physiology for the experience, whether that's at home, hospital, natural birthing unit. They're a given, right? Mm-hmm. And then work on, still work on hypnobirthing and breathing and, and mindfulness practices to enable that birth to be super smooth and for you to remain relaxed and make sure your partner does it as well mm-hmm. because their experience in that room will ramp things up just as much. Right. They could be like, again, the dad coming in the room or the midwife coming in the room that hasn't done the work or someone coming in the room that hasn't done the work. They can be just that and they might have a traumatized experience of their own birth or witnessing birth or their own fears of a pharmaceutical surgical experience. Right. So it's how do they downregulate? And everyone needs to be downregulated in that space, in that moment. And they need to serve as your support anchor that you look to for someone that you look to for strength. So you're right. They have to do the same work leading up to that because they are playing as big. They're not giving birth, but they play a massive role if they're going to be there in a supporting role. Absolutely. That's a great point. You know, and then, you know, then you kind of have it. You have the physical foundations in place. The social setting, it just depends on how things play out. You know, right. you could have all the good intentions in the world of having a natural birth at home and, you know, something happens you, and it's out, your, it's out of your hands. You surrender to the process. But if you've mm-hmm. done the work, it's much easier to surrender from a pro, to a process because you observe it differently. You don't get yep. swept away in it whilst you're behaving like a one to seven year old trauma. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like giving it's like a five-year-old trying to give birth in a hospital at that right. stage right so it's like how do i stay conscious in that moment until it really gets ramped up and i go into deep labor and then i have to and then i give birth right because then it's so then you're surrendering to the spiritual experience the rite of passage of what birth is right it's a bit like if you've been to an, if you've done any ayahuasca ceremonies or anything like that. I haven't. Right. Yet. So ayahuasca ceremony is a bit like this, right? You, I can be in a ceremony and I've done the physical work for my vessel, mm-hmm. um, so I can sit in a pose like this and I can sit there in the whole ceremony. I look around and and I can see people collapsed all over the place, throwing up all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. They're having a tough time. Are they having a tough time because they haven't? aligned the physical foundation of the spiritual practice mm-hmm. yogis yoga we could align it with that yep the poses are about preparing the physical physical body right so it's a bit like childbirth you have again you have to prepare the, it has to, the physical vessel just for me has to be has to be prepared for that situation 
Interesting. You know? Yeah. Like my girlfriend's a trainer and she's really interested in childbirth and what goes into it. And she started to um, basically kind of specialize in, it's still really on the fitness side, but physically preparing women to have the strength to be able to give birth and also support their child after birth is given. And it is like a lot of what she sees is just people are not in any way physically competent to be able to have the strength to recover from the experience. Although the more I hear you talk, the more I realize that it doesn't have to be as physically um, demanding, heavy and physically demanding as I think we paint this picture of, but, but just the physical requirements. Can you do a squat? Are you capable of, do you know uh, how to organize your body to carry a load so that you can carry your child instead of always having to ship off and outsource that to some sort of carriage or some sort of object? Um, and it really is, it, that alone put a different perspective in my brain that this is a, uh, a physical challenge, a spiritual physical challenge that can be prepared for so that you have a much better global experience from it. Um, yeah, and then also, but then also the young again, the model over here, the innately wild, connected beings, yep. get to observe that. Mm -hmm. So, like again, so for even so, when Bo was born, there was Lola to Lola, Millie, and Tallulah. Lola ten, Millie eight, Tallulah three and a half. Tallulah was like the birthing partner at three and a half years of age. Wow, and you she, said was she was so connected to Katerina. She'd go in, she'd just rub her head on her. She just knew. She just knew. She wasn't reacting in an emotionally traumatized child behavior, screaming, "What's happening? What's going on with mummy?" It was yeah. just she just she just tuned into it. She knew that's incredible in, innately what was going on. She just killed it, and she was in there stroking her back, stroking her hair. She'd just come and sit next to Katerina by her side and just sit there, wouldn't even say anything, you know. <laughs> That's so incredible. It's just, but again, it's it's all in us, you know. Yeah. But again, if that so that template again is incredible. Yeah, because all the the only difference between Tallulah and another child is Tallulah's never had anyone tell her or been exposed to things that would guide her away from that. Nothing's yeah, like extracted that. Like we talked about her. no nappies, right? So no nappies is a classic example of that. Like Lola and Millie again, they had nappies, right? Tallulah had nappies, I think, for the first like so it was about three months. I so think. diapers, diapers or nappies? Di diapers. Some people listening, right? So like, this is like the diaper-free model, right? right? And people again were always to me, what the fuck? What are you doing, diaper-free baby? This is like crazy. <laughs> what? what? What, uh, what? And we're like, again, like we discussed earlier, for me, it was like, well, people have more trust in their pet dogs and yeah. kittens than they do in their babies. So we culture the baby into pooping in a nappy for sometimes four years. That's crazy. And then we break the trust and say, now what you've been doing is completely wrong. <laughs> And you're not to do that anymore. You have to wee and poop here, right? So firstly, it's like, how how confusing is that, right? Very confusing. Child, right? So already you're giving them confusing messages. So for us, it was with Tallulah. We just we, we were living in, in Ibiza. It made things quite a lot easier. Terraclotta floors and it's hot climate. Right. So that's one thing, right? It is mm -hmm. easier. But what, what really unraveled within that is, again, that she knows we listen, right? She gets that we're listening. Yep all the time yeah that is so that she's being heard right it's such an important foundation for a kid right so she would give a signal at a really young age right and we would know that she needed the toilet so we then took her to the potty or the toilet right mm -hmm. already so by the time that she was already standing up she already would make her way to the toilet <laughs> she would also know that if she made a mistake and she peed or pooped on the floor 
if it was pee, she'd go off and she'd grab the, the cloth and she'd come back and she'd wipe the floor herself wow. at the age of one. Oh, my because God. Because she knew, right? Because that's what the example was. What happened when she peed on the floor, we'd go away and we'd pick up this and we'd wipe it up. She observed so she, you. She observed the behavior. Yeah. Um, the damage with a diaper is that they don't even get a signal. They don't know. So you're dumbing down yeah. their pathway or their sensory system. You're disengaging them. To to any... Totally disengaged, right? Yeah. And, and, you're, signals... and you're disengaged because you're not picking up on the signal. And also right. they're just not sure you're, you know, again, you're not tapping into this. Oh, they're, they're listening. They hear me. I'm being heard. And the signal's not probably this overt visual signal. Like you have to communicate non-verbally and feel yeah, your yeah. child to understand how to even identify those signals. Yep. And I think if if there's no need for a signal, you have no need to tune in to whether that signal is even being done or not. Also, just the, I think just the language. Can you imagine what you're inheriting in those first seven years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, nappies or the smell or whatever. Just be right. really mindful Negative of emotions. what you're putting in there, yeah. you know, to the child. That could be anything, you know. Because they take everything in, the good and the bad, the stuff you don't even know you're doing. They yeah, absorb all about, it all. It's all about foundations, you know. Amazing. And um, always the language and always the observation. Well, thank you for sharing that. And we're not, uh, like... Like Tony said, it's we're not saying everyone has to do it this way, but unless you even are, unless you ever even hear that this is something that can be done, this is something that's on the spectrum, on the continuum, right? You have most natural on one side, you have most medicalized on the other side. If you don't even know there's a continuum, then you can never think of options that fit with your life or your circumstances that you might be able to change. And I think it's important to have these conversations, not telling people what to do, not making them feel bad if they can't do this or don't do this, but that it's possible, right? It's like I go barefoot in airports, not because I expect other people to go barefoot in airports, but just to let them know, hey, this is possible. Yeah. You could do this if you wanted to. There's not no law. You need to, yeah. And it's it's one of those things where awareness comes through hearing things like pot. Like you said, we're in an incredible time. You can listen. I almost get overwhelmed sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know who to pick out of this world of podcasts because I can't possibly listen to them all. Um, but you can hear people, you know, and you and you essentially find your tribe. You find your tribe of educators who you trust, who who um, you resonate with, who you feel are coming from a place of love and experience. Where they're not just saying, oh, well, this research article said this. It's like, well, I've done it this way and it might not work for you, but it worked pretty good for me. And here's why I do it this way. Mm. And then it gives people the data to at least ha make better informed decisions because it's not about telling people what to do. It's making sure they realize what their options are, because I think we have a medical system that's just disempowering and removes options, removes this sense of intuition with feeling our body and understanding that or feeling other people or having relationships with other people beyond just a phone. And when you let people know what's possible, you at least give them a fair chance to make good decisions. Yeah, you know, I th and I, I think, so the medical profession, you know, because if there's anyone out there within the medical profession, it, it's just the way that you're, you've been cultured into right. that medical profession right. as well. It's, you know, it's no one's attacking you. It's just, it's just the way things are right now. Yep. But again, that's far, far advanced to where it was, right? So then you had to birthing, for instance, you used to have a room full of babies in cots and mm -hmm. the mothers separate from them. Yeah. And the mothers would be medicated, right? So they're then completely disattached from the child that's even in the room. Or they're getting over their medication. That yeah, and I was talking about, and the baby's getting over the medication that they've taken through the mother as well, right? Yeah. And so there's that huge, uh, we talk about attachment theory, but imagine what's going on there, you yeah. know, and, and I've looked at Joseph Chilton Pierce's work and he's great for this. And it's, 
just another one for the parents out there just going back into previous content it's about attachment again so that um, he's there's studies show that if you you can do like an ECG up to four feet away from the human heart right mm-hmm. that's how strong the heart rhythm is wow and he's showing through that heart rhythm that when you remove when you take a child um, more than three feet away, more than 12 feet away from its mother from its first base security it will be it will become incoherent right so it becomes stressful for them hmm. So there's a great book which is going by Continuum that you mentioned earlier. It's called The Continuum Concept. Okay. And it's a woman that went to live in a tribe for five years and looked at the behavior of the babies being brought up in the tribe. She doesn't do that to begin with. She just notices by being there for five years mm-hmm. that the baby, the kids don't cry, right? They're always picked up. They all have their needs met. When they're hungry, they're just on the boot. When they need to poop, they poop. They don't have to, they don't have, to have a crazy... Um, experience to get noticed mm-hmm. you know and so all their senses that just keep getting enhanced and enhanced and enhanced and everyone's mm-hmm. listening to them so her model which is continuing culture, is about baby carrying and about co-sleeping and things like that they're definitely worth looking into because if you start to understand well if I take my baby more than 12 feet away from me it becomes incoherent it means it's stressed so I'm triggering a stress response in my child which I'm probably triggering in myself as well mm-hmm because the baby and me are one. I've been carrying this baby for nine months. So at least have nine months nine, nine months in, nine months out of being that baby. Right. You know, so I'd go with baby carriers over prams and push chairs, you know, because the baby always has human contact, which is a fundamental physical need. It has movement, fundamental physical need. Um, it has love, right? It knows it's 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 just it's the mother. It's yeah. It's the, you're removing the stress and from the same it. Thing with the mother, she's and getting the, movement, and everything, yeah. And all the hormones. I think about oxytocin. If you hug for yep. longer, serotonin. So the happy hormones are introduced to that, and then co-sleeping the same. Right. The worst thing I think is to put a child in a, a newborn baby in a completely different room in a cot, and also in terms of sleep. We don't have a lack of sleep, Katerina and I, and we have four kids, right? And the reason we don't is because we co-sleep. So the so Bo already, because he can now lift his head already, mm-hmm. he'll make his way to the boob in the night. Hmm. Do you understand? So Interesting. No, so we don't have to wake up to feed him. See, this is like a paradigm shift. And we're not, go- we're not going into, right, it's your turn. So it doesn't create the weird dynamic between the mother and the father. Wow. And the guy going into work, completely yeah. trashed. Hmm. Oh, I'm completely knackered and his hormones are out as well and yeah. metabolism's out. Um, yeah, this just it is paradigm shifting because, of course, it just it's just bringing nature back into the bedroom. The other thing is lighting, of course. We know about blue light, don't we? Mm-hmm. So don't get the wacky light near the baby at certain times of night. So 6 p.m. starts already to start to downregulate the environment. Um, air purifiers clean up the air. You don't want your baby breathing in neurotoxins at such an early age to so get air purifiers in the room. All the stuff you should be doing in your own bedroom anyway, right. which is organize the lighting, not suppressing melatonin, and organize the air quality so you're not producing neurotoxins. Just stuff like that and bring natural fibers in. You know, If you haven't got the money, just, you know what, just figure out a way. Get some yeah, plants in. Just get, get plants. Get amazing got. plants in your room anyway. Um, and that then means that you... <sighs> If, because you're not lacking in sleep, you're not tapping into the one to seven year old trauma stuff. Right. The stuff we're talking, the subconscious stuff earlier. And you have it, space. You can be, you can have headspace, you can be conscious, you can be a conscious, present parent rather than a stressed out zoo human who's lacking in sleep, which is hard enough to perform anyway, let alone with a newborn baby that's completely shifted the dynamic in your home. Right. And the other one is don't try and get them into your routine, understand what their routine is. 
you know, some great books on there out there. One's I think it's called Baby Senses, and it will start mm. to help you understand how to pick up on what the what the senses are, so you don't misjudge it or miss a call. Right. Because then you have a screaming nightmare on your hands. They're mm. crying and crying and crying because you simply just missed out on one thing. Right. You missed a cue. You missed a cue. Yeah. Um, that's establishing their routine, not yours. Hmm. So it's not like right. It's bath time now. It's feeding time now. It's this. Right. If they need to feed, they need to feed. They might be feeding not for milk. They might be feeding for something else. It yeah, might be love, it might be anything. Yeah. So, so don't, you know, I'm not picking them up for four hours. I've been told I don't feed the baby for four hours. That's, yeah, that's you a know? really crazy one. Gabor yeah. Mate talks about that all the time where his mother loved him, but was told by, um, you know, people who are experts at raising children to not go to him when he's crying because you have to detrain that response. And like, that's a form of serious trauma because the, the signal the baby gets is I'm not loved. Yeah. It's yeah. not intentional. It's, it's. You know that's conditioning conditioning them away from what should be a feeling of unconditional love right right and one podcast i listened to that i really um really hit home was a sleep researcher went to south america and went there to research their sleep patterns and it was a family and it was a mother and there was three children and uh the sleep researcher had a translator because he couldn't speak um the, na- the native language and he tells the translator um to ask you know well what time do you go to bed at and the lady, the lady basically says, we, we go to bed when it gets dark. And he kind of was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then the researcher says, what happens if your kids get up in the middle of the night? What happens if your baby wakes up? Like, what do you do to soothe them? And then the lady just looks confused and he has to ask the question again. Well, what do you do if your, child, if your children wake up in the night, if they're crying? And then eventually it gets through the translator and the lady just says, well, they don't wake up. Yeah. Like it's nighttime, they sleep. Yeah. And it's just confused him. And this is someone that's, really well informed of the whole spectrum of research on sleep but never like basically all the unnatural things were removed all the blue light all the unnatural stresses and night was a time for sleep yeah and it was very poetic so Siegel's work at university of california he's good on this so it's like 1000 they they studied um 99 tribe um hunter gatherers right okay three independent tribes tanzania namibia bolivia which is like an agricultural tribe right okay and they study them for 1,165 days and they get to understand their sleep and they're all aligned, right? <laughs> so the same again that like the, you have moonlight and you have starlight, but they have biological darkness, right? Mm-hmm. So they might have a fire. So that's one thing. We know there's a fire. Um, they all have the, around about the same sleep pattern, but not one of them is asleep for eight hours, right? Mm-hmm. Apart from the babies that are out and knocked out, they're out the whole time, right? Yep. Um, they get up to tend to the fire, they look after their weapons, and they even smoke, right? So they're doing all kinds of things throughout the night, and it's mm-hmm. in their sleep-wake cycle. So it's right. literally doing that all through the night, and they're all at different tempos. Hmm. So then they understand, so then you understand, right, temperature is one thing, lighting, mm-hmm. firelight, air quality, companionship. The other thing is there aren't those wacky stories or visual impacts before going to sleep of people being murdered or mm-hmm. the crazy news before sleep so yeah. it's all down regulating information around a fire to begin with Man, that's so true and then they wake before the sun comes up and then again because they're keeping the fire going that's about tending to the fire and then um then they break off and they look at 33 members of the hadza right and again they look at i think it's over 220 hours of sleep all 33 members they're only asleep for 18 minutes altogether wow that's how they're waking up and going back to sleep waking up and going back to sleep so the whole myth around eight hours sleep yeah i look at it purely as it's all symptom relief right 
So people are going into this reading up, right, I have to sleep for eight hours. Why do we have to sleep eight hours? Well, because I, I, it's been studied in a laboratory again. Mm -hmm. The laboratory isn't a natural setup, right? Mm -hmm. So again, you've got the sleep that's needed for the symptoms of the laboratory, I would say, personally. So if you can kind of mimic lighting, air quality, air temperature, materials, take out all the crazy information, it will rather be like, um, you know what I'm saying, about overfed and undernourished. Yep. Yeah, overslept basically to having too much sleep and still waking up like you're Exhausting. not you're not on it right? right if it's a guy are you waking up the wrong kind of stiff in the morning right do you right. know what I mean? then you know your <laughs> testosterone's out <laughs> right? also know that your sleep's out can you get your feet on the ground and run immediately are yeah. you groggy are you looking for the snooze button or the coffee yeah because you know then it's the, the sim you're still it's your sleep is purely just sim you're using it as symptom relief mm -hmm. and the real factors are in your lifestyle the habits within the habitat so the habit, sleep habits within the sleep habitat, but right. the lifestyle habits within the lifestyle habitat, you know, and look at it that way. Because so those people habitat. in nature in real life situation are having between 5.7 and 7.1 hours sleep, and they don't have the conditions that we're led to believe you get from having a sleep deficit, which is having less than eight hours sleep. Interesting. They don't have the um, obesity. They don't have the diabetes. You know, because melatonin, if you get the lighting right, melatonin's role is to, to suppress ghrelin. Ghrelin's the hormone that tells you I need to eat. Yep. And it and it's the hormone that's also needed to boost leptin, which is the hormone that tells you... You're full. You're full, mm -hmm. right? So you take those systems out because you've, you've created biological darkness. Biological darkness just means the equivalent of the one lux of light coming from the moon and the stars right. and the amber tones coming from the fire. So you can get simple bulbs for that now. There's loads of circadian lighting out there. Or you wear amber glasses, but really if you want the whole experience to be for your family to improve, you're not right. all going to sit there with amber glasses on. It does look a bit weird. Yeah. But you can change the lighting. So that's, that's one way of doing that. And that, and that again will change because again, they don't, they, don't have the, they don't have diabetes, don't have obesity. They're like amazing physical specimens we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So why don't they have a sleep deficit? You know, so just, again, you can use nature as the filter every yeah. time. So you if know, you engineer the environment, the appropriate biological behaviors ensue. And, and that's why I'm, you know, I have this, we can't all live in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally. You, right. you just have to look at your everyday habits and habitat. Mm -hmm. And how do I line that with nature? You that's know? amazing. Because that's doable. And, and if you give people a menu of options to kind of slowly architect their environment back to that end of the continuum where it's more reflects a more natural environment right yeah. you don't have to live in a hut you can live in a home but make sure that the home reflects similar to what the hut looks like and i think the cool thing about technology is everyone poo-poo's technology as oh it's killing us it's like well when light bulbs come out that mimic moonlight that's a really powerful technology because it makes it accessible for people to not have to guess about oh is this bad light or good light it's like put these light bulbs in or put some sort of timer so that a certain type of light kicks in when the sun goes down and that's all you have to do. So use technology yeah. to take out this requirement for always overstressing. Oh, am I getting enough sleep? Is the light good? It's like, let's make it simple. And if you give people these general heuristics and a menu of smallest change, menu all the way to the biggest change, they can pick where they're ready to accept and pick where they're funneling into that continuum. And then if you give them the whole spectrum, they can decide when they're ready to take the next steps. And when they get into the channel, like that's all they have to do is get into the channel because when they start feeling it and experiencing it they're like what else can i do because this is really this feels really good it's like with food it's like the hardest obstacle is to get someone to understand yeah. the you know this whole short-term long-term paradigm with food is the hardest one to deal with right it feels amazing to eat cake for about five minutes eat a full cake it's a lot of mouth pleasure then it's four hours of shit 
but people forget that there's a connection between short and long term so they fail to realize that oh this equals this oh when i eat this food i don't get as much mouth pleasure but i feel amazing for this amount of time so sometimes just bridging that gap and creating the awareness so that people can be their own motivators when they start going and i think you know it's cool when you see that when you see people that seem so disconnected and so off to that one side of the continuum and they start with a tiny behavior change and they're like what else can i do now yeah and also look what we're talking about it doesn't cost anything right right other than changing a light bulb right thirty dollars on a on an amber light bulb right well the breathing apps free breathing apps free right um sleep is for free yep you know breath works for free removing your chairs getting on the ground it's free Mm -hmm. you know that's the beauty of it right less is more less is more and it also doesn't dry, dry, keep dry when I say turn of sustainability in the environment it doesn't drive a crazy consumerist model right? right and what we're doing is we're removing the symptoms that do drive a crazy consumerist model yep yeah and I actually think it saves money right when you like with movement I think the more you know the less you need right the more you know about movement and the more you you know I like to break down this are you a mover or are you a sitter because everyone likes to say oh I'm active and then you delve a little deeper and you're like what what makes you active well I work out two hours a day okay well what do you do for the rest of the day do you oh I sit a lot and you go into it and you know what you realize is okay people that think they're active are in the bedroom for eight hours they're at a desk for 14 hours and they move for two hours. Mm. So you're a sitter that exercises. You're not a mover. You're a sedentary athlete. You're a sedentary athlete. And I think, you know, switching people's mindset to say, what determines if you're active or sedentary is actually, it's really simple arithmetic at its, you know, base fundamental are more of your waking hours spent moving or sitting. And that determines whether you're a mover or a sitter. And I think, you know, one of the most dangerous things in terms of people coming into the physio clinic is sedentary exercisers. Mm. And to see people constantly creating health problems and injuries, trying to be fit, it seems so strange from the outside. But then you realize this is the programming. You need to exercise to work off the food that you ate, which creates a totally different relationship with food because now you're always worried about what foods to eat or, or what nutrients to eat. And I think this whole kind of concept of less is more go back to basics understand how humans survived you know in a natural environment is super empowering because it doesn't tell people what to do it doesn't tell them what to do it just gives them a different set of principles to base their decisions off of and apply it with whatever works for their life because that's the key they have the best behaviors to do are the ones you're actually going to do are not the best ones that this magazine says or this someone tells you to do it's the one you're actually going to do not as a as a behavior diet as a behavior change as a as a permanent set subset to the behaviors you do in your lifestyle and that you imprint on your children and i think um you know wording it like that to people you see them kind of their eyes light up and they're like i actually and, and the feeling you get is that that person just realized that they have control over a lot of things that they essentially had outsourced to other people to experts or to doctors or to health rehab professionals and and i think that's the low-hanging fruit is just giving people the the information that they're willing to accept as principles so that they can then determine how how much they're going to take in of those principles and then how they can align their lifestyle with those principles yeah again i for me i i bring it back to needs and and kind of wants in a way Mm-hmm. You know, it's like establish what your needs are yep. and your want for less. Hmm. Because the want is basically, again, driven by a symptom of not getting the needs met because of the suffering. Right. 
you know so i want the food yeah i want the drugs i want the alcohol i want the sh- i want the shopping That's right. um i need i want the exercise right because that exercise is it's part i, I see exercise is almost the same model as a symptom relief it's not right. it's not the need it's something very different yep um that is it yeah it's something very symptom relief over there for me interesting um so i think yeah the more you establish and get closer to those needs again the less suffering and you want for less you know and if we kind of if we start to establish that over here as the adult tribe again Mm -hmm. then the younger tribe will kind of pick up on oh these are the needs you know right and then you can bring back joy happiness the ability to thrive rather than symptom suffering survival right you create a new template yeah all for for free all for free hey man it has been yeah all for free that's the best part i know anyway it's been uh, thank you so much for taking the time i know you're a busy guy you're off to another podcast right now thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your wisdom because i really think you know this generational pass down of people that have done it and been it and seen both sides of the equation right like you didn't you didn't just live like this your entire life you've had to go through your own journey to learn how you need to change the way you live. You've been the example. You are the example. I think the stories, thank you for sharing the story of your, of uh, those four childbirths because it's very personal, but by opening up your personal life, you literally give people a new, new continuum. I think is the best way to put it. So they now have options. They now have something to process in their mind to decide what, what is right for them and what is what feels right to them or what is tangible to them and um anyway thank you for everything you do so if people want to find you it's the natural lifestyle the natural lifestyleist on instagram Very or cool. tonyriddle.com perfect website there's the sale head over there cool and, and there's some tutorial stuff on there as well that we got going on because you got your squat tutorial squat on tutorial there? and a barefoot running tutorial so the running tutorial Powerful. on there is you know how do you analyze your own running style here's some steps to then rewild the running style and then re-record again so that gives you the subconscious template of where you're at cool quite a nice little one that so we give you we, we put together like a discount code for your listeners and if that can steer them over that'd be quite cool magic thank you so much awesome Tony. thanks Great for having me on man and uh yeah we'll catch you next time brilliant